No pronouns or gender specificity in this moment. And um, I am here to introduce Goddess Corey, who is back. Yes. And they are going to take over this episode. So get ready for a real treat. Every episode, we begin with a segment we call Historical Hose. And this week's historical hoe is Lottie the Body Graves Claiborne. So Lottie the Body Graves Claiborne was born in Syracuse, New York on October 31st, 1930. Shout out to another October Scorpio, uh, Scorpios forever. So she grew up practicing ballet and um, in sports like baseball and basketball. But by 17, she quit school to become a professional dancer. Her first professional job was performing with uh, Whitey Lindy Hopper's uh, Herbert White's popular dance troupe in the 1940s that traveled to venues nationwide. Famous for the Lindy Hop, the routines were a combination of jazz, tap, swing, and more. So once the Lindy Hop craze died, she quickly learned that Other types of professional jobs in the field of dance were few and far between for black women. It was then that she honed her skills as a burlesque performer. In the late 1940s, Lottie married an Air Force lieutenant and moved in with him when he was stationed in the San Francisco Bay Area. She created her burlesque act there during the height of the popularity of jazz clubs. When Lottie lived and performed in San Francisco in the late 1940s and early 1950s, she also traveled the country to work. She became a popular performer in Arthur Bragg's Idlewild Review at the Paradise Club in Idlewild, a resort town dubbed the, quote, Black Eden of Michigan, and there she was known as the Black Gypsy Rose Lee. Throughout her career, her strip show used Afro-Cuban music and choreography, and she wore elaborate costumes. Her routine often included removing clothing, but no nudity. Her technique made her enormously popular, and she was in demand, a high demand internationally and nationwide. A racketeer in Indianapolis even built a nightclub for her called the Pink Poodle. That's really cute. (laughs) We need to open up a new Pink Poodle, Pink Poodle 2020. Okay, so Lottie worked alongside many performers, comedians, singers, musicians, and dancers who were popular in that era, including Red Fox, T-Bone Walker, Della Reese, Billie Holiday, Sammy Davis Jr., Aretha Franklin, Miles Davis, Sam Cooke, Bessie Smith, B.B. King, Louis Armstrong, Martha Reeves, the uh, the Four Tops, The Rhythm Kings, Sarah Vaughn, Cab Calloway, Dinah Washington, Fats Waller, Toadie Fields, and a number of Motown groups and others. Holy shit. Imagine, you guys. Just for a second, imagine you are a person hanging with everybody from Miles Davis to Aretha Franklin, Billie Holiday. Ah! Oh, God. Okay, let me call my titties. So, Supporting and mentoring other performers, especially dancers, was important to Lottie. Christine Jorgensen, a trans nightclub entertainer, became one of her best friends. 
Lottie felt strongly about supporting others regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. She met many famous people who were not in the entertainment business, like politicians and government leaders. While traveling with the Harlem Globetrotters to Cuba, the fucking Harlem Globetrotters, you guys, way back the fuck when, they met Fidel Castro. What the fuck? Who lives this life? Sex workers. So she found him to be, quote, a sweet little man, (laughs) having no idea he would become a communist communist revolutionary. So early in her career, she was married to Tatum, and she often served as an unpaid MC for the Globetrotters. By the time she was in her 50s, she danced less and worked as an MC more at Detroit nightclubs. Her effervescent personality made her popular with club audiences. She retired at age 61. When she needed a a walker later in life, she laughed and said it was because she'd done the splits one too many times. And that will be the story of Selena the Stripper. Watch out. Whenever I turn 61, you better believe I'm going to need a walker from all these splits. Anyway, so that is the incredible and inspiring and like hella dope life of Lottie the Body Graves, this week's historical hoe. Hello, everybody. This is the goddess Corey. I'm here to do the takeover. Um, today, I have Jordy uh, with me. Jordy, can you say hello? Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we started a conversation about a week ago where we we went all over the place. Um, we talked about. We talked about a lot of different things, but um, we wanted to come back and continue our conversation. And I believe we were going to talk about um, the Black diaspora and media and how it's been infiltrated and like sort of like brainwashy and all of those things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But before I even get into that, um, I did want to talk about real quick. Uh, we have a... Uh, porno that we shot together recently yes. well at the beginning of the year called clowning um <laughs> it's You're an freaky yes it's an all black production all queer black production um edited produced directed shot photography everything Say black it. all black yes. everything so uh it, you can go to at the goddess Corey on instagram and the link is in the bio um, and so you can check that out. Um, and if there's anything you want to plug at the top, Jordy, um, that's coming up. Bless. Um, I would also like to plug that. Um, I have the link in um, my bio as well. Um, and then in my bio is just my link tree that goes to my website. And um, I've been really trying to drive people or guide people to my Patreon um, um, just so they can support me on that. Definitely. So I can, um, divest my energy from Instagram and invest it in other platforms of media that are also, um, sustainable for, for me financially, for me energetically. Um, and I know we were talking about that the last time as well. Um, just different platforms that we're kind of trying to look for. Yeah. About. Um, 
definitely. I am also working on building my website very soon. I have a, a consultation coming up, so I'm very excited to start that journey and like divest from these larger platforms that are not for me that don't take care of me um mm-hmm. so yeah um but um I know you've been talking a lot on uh Instagram as of late about the evil that is Hollywood um and so I sort of mm-hmm. want to start there because I think that it will sort of like feed into like the larger conversation that we want to have um with anything structurally with any structural violence um my my impulse as a healer as someone who um heals from the epicenter of what is causing the sick is to focus on the foundation to focus on the root of the the issue and when we talk about or are focusing on anti-blackness um, within Hollywood and and the monopolization of narratives by white people, by cis people, by hetero people. I specifically was looking for the the common like root, and that root was uh, the white supremacist propaganda of. Um, birth of a nation. That's where that's where the root like took me, um, and then it was just so interesting through my research about that film how much um, the institutions and the systems of Hollywood were built on that film and people who were aligned with the propaganda that influenced the resurgence of the second wave of the KKK by millions of members the year that it came out in 1915. Mm. And um, four people um, connected to that film ended up being the four of the 36 original founders of the Academy Awards. Um, And that alone to me shows the basis that the structure of Hollywood is resting on. I think that is so interesting. I uh, I went to uh, I went to a college. I won't name the college. Um, I went to a college. Uh, it was a women's college, and uh, an ex of mine was taking film classes. Um, and she said that the first film that they watched for like their first assignment was Birth of a Nation. And they had to watch it three different times, once forward, once backwards, and then once some other way. Um, and that was like the foundation of her film studies class, which I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hadn't watched it at that point. Um, and I still uh, sort of refuse to watch it. <laughs> I've seen bits and pieces of it like taken out of context and I don't feel necessary for me to consume that necessarily mm-hmm. um it looks like a very traumatic film <laughs> um yeah. but i think you know it's infused in like our education like if that's like the basis if that's where you're starting in your film education is birth of a nation and to watch it forwards and then backwards and then whatever remixed i think it was mm-hmm. like you know that has bigger implications for filmmakers right that like oh like this is the pre- preempus the pre- you know 
the preface for your film career is this film. Mm -hmm. Is this, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been, I've been very interested in like the gaze, you know, like what, what, filter are you are you viewing this through so when you have like film educators playing a film like this and not really picking apart the anti-blackness and black violence and uh, um uh structures and narratives of white supremacy in film but you're looking at it to like highlight the technological like advancements of that era um, by, you know, shining light on it using the close-up for the first time on somebody in, like, <laughs> a performer in blackface just just further confirms for me the disassociation that people have. And I, I, I honestly, like, as soon as I said it, I kind of want to take that back because that, for some reason, I feel gives a kind of out for for people particularly white people in hollywood when i really truly believe that it is deliberate yeah and not necessarily um un- unconscious that i feel like maybe the connection with this association would would uh, like allude to right you know? i do think it's very intentional and i think you know it goes it, it's in porn you know it's even more like direct i've always like looked at porn as like what people really want to say, what people really want to do, you know, this unfiltered because it is like underground. It is like subversive. It is all of these things because it's talking specifically about the most, some of the most vulgar things you can do with another person or with yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't know. uh, I wrote a paper called black bodies and porn where I looked at like how black bodies are displayed in porn, um, who creates black porn, black on black porn, um, who creates interracial porn, um, all of those things. And I found the black companies were capitalizing off of fat asses, you know, mostly just fat asses, (laughs) big tits, the, mammy sort of like figure of like blackness um and like big dicks uh you know and how that like related to like slavery and the way that you know black bodies were just used as objects of sex um you know for master for the mistress of the house um how black women were used as you know milk machines essentially for white babies um and how that is inherently connected, to, like to uh, sexuality. That's wild. It's it's quite it's quite wild. Um, and recently, I saw um, an Instagram live uh, talk that Misty Stone and Foxy Loxy, I think it's her name, did, um, where there becomes this inherent competition between uh, black pornographers for this single spot that is open for this very fetishized role, right? You have to be sleeping with a, a white person. Um, that is all that interracial, that is, when they say interracial, that's what interracial is. It's like a black person sleeping with a white person. It's generally not, you know, other races sleeping with other races. It's black and white. And again, it connects back to 
slavery and, you know, that being inherently taboo for some reason that like a white body can be with a black body. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, black on black porn, not getting the amount of attention, not getting the amount of money that interracial porn gets because it's not seen as valuable that like our shared love, our shared intimacy, our shared sexuality just amongst us is not uplifted, is not celebrated. And it's not profitable. It's not profitable. (laughs) Exactly. Unless there's a white body involved, which Mm -hmm. again is like why, like in my like pursuit to deconstruct that and my pursuit to like, to see myself in pornography, like, cause I want to have sex with other black bodies. Like I want to experience that level of like sensuality and it is deep and it's bigger. And I think we talk about this in, or we talked about this in inter- the interview that we did after, but that like, it was like, uh, it was more about intimacy than it was necessarily like sex or fucking, you know, which I think is important. When there is a, monopolization or a hold on narratives and on storytelling or images that you show, I feel like there is a groove or a pattern that is developed in relation to capitalism that really focuses on what narratives bring the most money. And when those narratives and the nature of how those narratives are shared and created is rooted in racism and misogyny and all of this violence the the patterns that are created are going to be violent and i feel like there are so many people that are just in this pattern of making money that there there's just this recycling of of the same old tired dusty white crusty like same note <laughs> Yeah. Like, like things being created right now. Yeah. And I'm really interested, like you said, of the, the multiple shades of intimacy, but of, of story, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a story between our bodies. Right. Um, That was the first time we interacted in that way, archived and explored in that way. um, That was very much like playful and, and celebratory yeah um and exciting and to to share that story amongst the monotony of just the same images over and over again i feel like is is radical simply in itself and is important particularly for people like us and for the queer black trans library that has been burned many times through colonization. And I think about that often, the many bridges that were burned between our current bodies and our ancestors. Like I think about, I think about that often. So if anything, it's for that library that I'm, I'm just, that's why I create, you know, in so many different ways is to like leave anything behind for Mm -hmm. the generations, you know, between and to, and to act as a bridge between the, the very loud transcestral voices that I am connected to because of my openness, because of my empathy, 
and because of a strong community of other non-conforming folks um, that I am surrounded by. Who inspires you? Who, like, who, you know? I don't know. You're such an inspiring person to me. I don't know. (laughs) I'm like, who do you look up to? (laughs) Who are you? Who are the people that like you call in and that like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think right now I've been really finding a lot of healing from Alice Coltrane. Um, I love Alice Coltrane's ability to really play and experiment in expressing her voice, but also her relationship with, with other tools that allow her to express. I'm inspired a lot by community and specifically Black trans creators. Mm-hmm. Um, I get tingles when I just see like Black non-conforming people alive and alive so loudly, it really like puts a log on my fire. Um, There is this one video that I saw today of this like beautiful non-conforming black being just like going the fuck off in front of this line of armed police, you know? With so many other just like black folks around them, like, you know, just like, fueling them and that that sense of community, that expression of queerness um, on the streets and so loud definitely pushes me forward on this path that can be very, very painful to to be on. I've been finding that path to be quite lonely too. Not even lonely. I don't think lonely is the right word. I don't know if there's a word for it because it's not even alone. Like, I'm not alone. I have them with me. And I'm not feeling sad about the loneness. Maybe isolating or I think directed. I don't know. But just I feel both very surrounded and held and simultaneously, like, very just out in the middle of nowhere trying (laughs) just trying very hard (laughs) yes yes you know yeah when you were talking I I was just like hearing like needing comfort like I just need a lot of comfort and want want it and and if like even me I'm like I I just want and I feel need so much more as well because of my complexities, because of um, the violence that I experience and, and also am witness to of my queer family. There's just so much healing that is necessary for us to even arrive at some kind of neutral space of existence Mm -hmm. you know and I feel like it's because of that that we have like access to infinite potential and I don't want to romanticize our pain or our struggle in a way that detracts from the the right we have to like just be and not have to be complex or not have 
to, mm -hmm. you know, be these shining magical beings that we are, <laughs> but, but I've also been thinking of a choice, you know, I've been asking, like, I, I, I've been distancing myself from asking why of the earth and more so asking like, what, what do I need to do? Like, what, what am I here for? Like, mm. how can I continue my mission on this planet? And, and what do I need to be able to do that? You know? Yeah. That really resonated when I was, um, a little baby gay, uh, I thought about a lot how like there were no rules for me. Like there were no set in stone rules for how to do this thing that I, mm -hmm. that I was, that I am. And that gave me the ultimate freedom mm -hmm. to just express, just do, just be with whoever, just like, I saw freedom as like a child, you know? Mm -hmm. And you know, you get out there and like the quote unquote real world and like it, other things bump into your body and like, you know, you realize it might be a little more complex than that, but simultaneously it isn't because even now I'm like, I, I walk through the world and I'm, I guess I just get to do, mm -hmm. I get to be playful in a pool of muck with my friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I get to experience like love, like unconditional love, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have all of these like guidelines on how to be a human, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which is so exciting mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, I, I definitely have been feeling into the, the paradox of, of that, you know, this infinite freedom and boundless existence because you are the only one you have seen and are doing things that have never been seen or have been hidden from you that are familiar and in the same breath like it's like you said again very disorienting it's like you're floating out in this like huge abyss that's infinite and so much potential but Sometimes I do crave direction and sometimes I do envy patterns that people can fall into specifically around love and how easy it is for straight people to <laughs> be in like a situation, you know, and, and just happen to manifest like whole families and stuff, you know, and these are things that I want. These are things that I desire. And I know they will never, ever look like what I can even measure them against. Mm -hmm. But there's a kind of effortlessness in relationship and family, particularly within um, what is fit in the societal norm that I do find myself having to release envy around, I do. Definitely. Um, I think even beyond straightness, like heteronormativity, like, cause there is like butch femme culture amongst queer people as like, like a way to be, and it's a way to be. It doesn't necessarily fit for me. I think it was in our prisons obsolete, a re and I did 
the reading on my Instagram recently. And it was, it was interesting to revisit. I, I didn't remember how queer it was and like how much it talked about queerness. Um, but it talks about like releasing like heteronormativity, not in those particular terms, but it talks about how like, you know, we fall into these structured patterns, um, even in uh, marginalized communities to escape persecution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that before the the survival, um, yeah. the tactic of survival being assimilation. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I feel that. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, uh, oh, I just did a, I just post about how indigenous people like enslaved Africans as well mm-hmm. as a way to please colonizers right so that they could have what they needed as well like it's all about fear tactics it's all about put baby in a corner (laughs) you know like Mm -hmm. and like how do we dip and dodge and get out of this one and ultimately it seems the pattern is is to persecute you know darker people Mm -hmm. you know or more it's very easy to identify you know what is other than white what is considered supreme mm-hmm. um, what ha- has been given um or taken power or monopolized power um and handed to even other lighter races that can you know show hey like look, we can do this oppression game too. Like, look, we can, we can play this game too. Um, I, I, I see that. I see that that's, that also came up, um, in the research of, uh, birth of a nation and, um, uh, the Academy because a good amount of Academy members, um, in the original 36 were of Jewish descent. And, you know, when you look up the KKK, that white supremacist, white terrorist group, like, they are very Mm anti-Semitic. But it was the anti-Blackness that was able to highlight and kind of, like you said, put baby in a corner, kind of like push away and like single out, um the largest thing for people to focus on kind of saying like, Ooh, Ooh, don't, don't hit me. Like that person, that person over there though. Right. But look at that person over there. That person over there is much more different than like me. Like, look, <laughs> no, like, look, look over there. And that I feel is just the, the hardest thing about making our way to a place of equanimity by having a conversation about empathy of what is happening now mm-hmm. and also reparation of what has taken place. It's, it's so complex. It is. It's so sad. And it even happens among, you know, black people. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this a little bit last time too, but like black people enslaved other black people. I mean, it wasn't yeah. slavery, but it was like sort of indentured servitude Mm-hmm. esque things yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah. You know, when and... I was, oh. 
And then oh, I was reading this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you go first. Okay, I was reading this book. I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll show it. It's called. Oh, I don't have it over there, but it's called Barracoon. And it is by Zora Neale Hurston. Mm. And she goes and she um, interviews the last, one of the last um, enslaved folks on like one of the last ships that like was a, a, allowed or able to come through to the United States. And it, and it came in illegally, you know? Mm-hmm. And when she kind of goes into this detailing, this person just you talking about that really illuminated the conversation of even on the continent of Africa and those those southern countries that were port cities like there there was a a lot of like African folks who sold like sold folks right into into slavery and that I think that ancestral tie being cut in that way through the slave trade, because there were multiple people who had their hands in it, but by really illuminating, I think that that particular ancestral cord is, I feel, where the most healing can happen. And and we were talking about it too in, in the conversation of repatriation and, mm-hmm. and feeling like, you know, free enough to go back to Africa. And what mm-hmm. does that look like, especially as a queer, black, marooned person? Right. You know, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, I've been what thinking. What were you gonna say? I lost the thought, but I've been thinking about, you know, repatriation. I actually did a little bit of more research about. Um, countries in Africa who would be open to having queer people, uh, trans people in their countries. Um, and in a lot of African countries, it's not necessarily illegal, but it's not necessarily legal. There's this like gray space of like, Mm. we'll probably beat you up, but like, (laughs) you know, we're not going to explicitly say that you can't be here. Um, South Africa being one of them, um, where it's technically, I think it's legal in South Africa, but like, it's not socially acceptable. And there's a few other, in Ghana, it is not legal, which has me very like, "Mm, well, (laughs) um, but there are places where it is legal, but it's just, it's just this gray space. Um, and also like we were talking about in the last, uh, conversation that like, I don't feel like. I belong. I feel like I don't belong most places, anywhere in the world. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I belong in space, you know? Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) We can get into it. (laughs) Speaking my language. um, Space is the place. I made this playlist called All Black Everything. Um, And the last song on there is Space is the Place by Sun Ra. And I really do, I really do, like, understand and feel especially what you're saying when you were talking, um, conversations that I've had with the Uhuruverse came up in my mind, uh, especially as 
you know, a displaced person who generationally um, was taken without my consent, you know? Like, there's this question of being stolen and being like a, a stolen, like, I don't know why the word resource is like mm-hmm. <laughs> my mind, but like, like being used and pumped for my life force, generational life force being pumped and, and taken from not, not just the body was taken from, but the spirit and the emotions and the, the mental energy behind enslaving folks is is also what i'm i feel like i'm like looking for i really i really do like feel like i'm marooned you know like marooned and like i was just like whoop just dropped again that that image of being in the middle of just the water just out here like well what you know, where I feel, I do feel more connected to the stars and the animals and the earth than I do my own ancestors sometimes. Mm. And that makes me very sad. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of generational pain there. Like, I feel like for me that I have to like heal their hurt a lot of the time that like I have to fix what they left off like uh, not fix fix is the wrong word for it but I'm going to use fix in place for whatever word I can't think of but just heal whatever whatever wounds they left before I can you know because that's how that is passed Mm -hmm. on is that these unhealed wounds are are bleeding or you know pussy all over the, the newborn babe and then the newborn babe passes it on and then so on and so forth and I think um I'm trying to do that work right now but it's hard work <laughs> mm-hmm. um but it's important but sometimes I do get tired you know like and I think you know maybe a little resentfully like why couldn't why <laughs> why did you leave mm-hmm. this to me to figure out, to, mm-hmm. to cope with, to, to deal with. Um, and then somehow I, I like get a little bit of strength. I'm like, maybe, you know, I, it's cause I am strong enough because I do have something inside of me, um, that is maybe different or special that can do that work that does see beyond the generational trauma, the generational pain, the, the fuck shit (laughs) and and I can speak to that and and do the work around that but I get tired sometimes I'm just like I want to lay down (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know can you just can you take care of me just for a second (laughs) Yeah. yeah and that's like I feel like that's what I've been I feel like at odds with Particularly because I'm a strong bitch, you know, Mm -hmm. and I come from a a line of a lot of other strong people in my lineage, you know, like I've seen so much strength passed down to me in the same, like with the same hand that a lot of that violence and, Mm -hmm. and trauma was also passed down to me, that paradoxical card hand, you know, (laughs) that we've been dealt with. And I've just been 
thinking so much about just like rest and 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 how if black people had the resource of our basic needs being met how much magic would happen on this planet the earth would be healed right say it again <laughs> like the earth would be healed the earth would be healed because already without the resources without the the access to water to beds to shelter to food good food food <laughs> medicine i feel like the earth the earth is still here you know it has not burned it is not scorched it is not destroyed and honestly like that that alone that we are and everyone on this earth is still alive is a testament to how strong black people are for real <laughs> truly cuz cuz white people out here trying to destroy the planet <laughs> and like i'm like for what boo yeah like you live here too that's what i always think is like you live here too. Like, what do you th- what do you think is going to happen? Like, what do you what what is the end goal here? <laughs> we'll die like after you'll die, though. You know, <laughs> the fallout will hit you first, right? You know, right, you're you out there. Are, you know, but and again, it goes back to our first conversation. I've like dealt with my own death. I've talked to death. Like we we cool. Like, I know, like, it's fine. Like we're so, and again, going back to that freedom that like, because I've dealt with death and like, I am this queer being freedom. And don't other people want that? I feel like people who are so regimented don't. And I, and some, a friend of mine was talking to me about this. Like people are really jealous of that freedom. And that's why, Mm -hmm. you know, things happen. Uh, uh, persecution happens. Um, but like you could be free too, you could you could you could be free too, mm-hmm. and it would be magical and healthy and beautiful. Yeah, they just want to take it, skin it from us, and wear it like a suit. They don't want to <laughs> actually do the work that really allows for that freedom to be truly embodied and i i i i feel that i i definitely was thinking about like white people and the systems that were created by these white dominant countries specifically america with three k's Mm -hmm. and i think of the relationship with death and the fear of death and this kind of holding on to to a menial life and i and i say menial just in the understanding of time and life particularly people want to hold on to time in a way that is so interesting especially through this whole process of this this cycle this wave of uprising it did not happen overnight and it will Mm-mm. not, you know, quell overnight. It is a continual cycle. But this wave and the amount of like statues being destroyed. 
has been really giving me and my fucking soul that is unbound by time, like so much life. <laughs> and seeing how white people are so hurt by it just shows me how much they are trying to hold on to these blinks. Blinks in what? You know that in, in a million years, that, that statue won't even be right. There. Right. And a million years ago, it wasn't. I'm like, <laughs> the holding on to the blink of time and, and the fear of expanding and truly being connected to that which, you know, has no beginning and no end. Right. Is, is that, that fear of freedom. Mm. Mm. Fear of freedom. <laughs> oh because time is a circle it's all cyclical and mm-hmm. just like we look up at the sky and those stars are long gone <laughs> long gone and how magical that is that we can mm. get these little glimmers of what used to be and that we in some other eye, some very far away eye, are something that used to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speak on it. And something new will arise and something old will die. And that's just the way it goes. And that's okay. It's mm-hmm. so okay. It's more than okay. It's, it's the way. It is. It is. <laughs> it, is. it just is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been looking up at the sky a lot more often. It's been clear enough in LA to be able to um, actually see more stars than usual, at least, I don't know, since I've been around in LA. Um, Mm -hmm. It's so nice. And I think it's allowing other people to like maybe connect more with like their surroundings. Cause it's hard here in like the city to like, with all this concrete and all this manufactured whatever (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) to really connect with the ground to connect with earth to connect with plants to connect with all of those things and people don't see the the richness in the soil and i love there's um a lot of like seed sharing going around and plant medicine like combinations going around um I don't know. I just people, I just see a lot of black people in particular, like coming back to the earth. And it's really, it's so beautiful to me. Cause that's where, that's really where the healing start. Like, you know, in the dirt, in the, yeah. <laughs> in the dirt. Yeah. I think the, the worst, just the, the most unfortunate pattern I feel is equating our hands in the earth with pain Mm -hmm. and by like creating a pattern of oppression through our work and our communion with the land i feel like was one of the worst spells ever cast on black people particularly on this land it really like i get chills from it it's just so insidious and still through that so much weaving that happens when black people touch the earth i'm really thankful for a lot of um, collectives that i see um 
I know there's this collective on on Instagram that was um, currently like raising funds. There's this uh, I want to say is it Black Black Earth Farm in Oakland that was um, doing free deliveries of and free food to to Black activists. Mm-hmm. So I'm really I'm really thankful that. Like there are black people of the diaspora that are particularly on this land doing that alchemy work with the land. Mm -hmm. And also that there are places on the land that are um, hospitable and calling that work to be done. And I only pray and intend that more places, more land here does that, that magnetizes black people to, to work with the land and weave with intentions of healing and release and growth and love in that way. Yeah. I, my great grandfather uh, was a coal miner in near Montgomery, Alabama. And through reading and research recently, um, coal mining and like steel, working were like intermixed because like you use it for heat to melt the steel i found out that most likely that coal was used to heat the steel that was used to build los angeles because they shipped the steel wow you know and something about that like gave me like this surge of like power i think a little bit of like you know black people's hands are in everything mm-hmm. in everything they're all around me, you know? And if more people, more black people could connect to that, could have that understanding, that, that understanding of their relationship to not even just the dirt, but what is atop the dirt, they would feel that power, that claim, that like freedom to, to use it in the way that their ancestors might want. Like you were talking about even this whole conversation of repatriating and mm-hmm. and um, revisiting old patterns and healing and clearing ancestrally and being able to say, yo, like I got this, but also I got all of this that was handed to me generationally. Mm-hmm. Let us like, let us have some support. So I really feel like this window of time is so in full support of the great transformations that are happening right now, specifically for black folks and all the folks, you know, aligned with our collective freedom. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Get on board. Like, you know, like, yeah. Like I said, you you left, if you own, you good, you know? Yeah. I was saying today, like if you align yourself with this, with us, a movement of black people with the movement that is blackness <laughs> right now, or if you, if you genuinely align yourself with the movement mm-hmm. that is black people right now, like you will be protected as well. Like, do you mm-hmm. like, <laughs> <Yeah>. align yourself? <laughs> align yourself. <laughs> Cause, and like I said in our last one, um, like my freedom is your freedom. Like mm-hmm. when, you know, the lowest rung is free, everybody gets some. <laughs> Who's so smart? Who's so smart? That's right. It's you. 
It's you, cutie pie. Who's a big girl? Who's a big boy? That's you, growing so strong and so big. Daddy loves his big girl. Daddy loves his big boy. You're my favoriteest person in the whole wide world. We all need a pep talk nowadays. But have you found that pep talks we get nowadays pale in comparison to the talks we used to get as infants? Baby Talk USA is waiting at the phone to encourage you in a way that you need. Are you a man, woman, girl, boy, NB, or use some other pronouns? We start off every call to ask what pronouns you want, and then we get to work, offering you the encouragement you need. Who's the coolest NB in the whole wide world? Who's got the sweetest laugh and the cutest smile? That's you, NB. Call Baby Talk USA today. So clowning is our porno that we made. Um, it's really joyful. It's like a really joyful time. Um, I like look at it sometimes and just like there was a pool and there was, you know, getting balloons and getting sprayed with water and like bouncing around and like this like gooky mess. And like, it was just fun. It was fun touching all on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like sliming all against each other. Yeah, yeah. And I, you gave me a massage afterwards. That was so nice. It like felt so nice. And like, I don't know. Yeah. It was just like so lovely. And the sun was so nice and warm. Mm-hmm. It was like the perfect kind of day. I don't know to do that. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And you can get that on um. On my Instagram at the goddess Corey um, and Jordy's Instagram Earth to Jordy at Earth to Jordy. It's at E A R T H T O J O R D I Earth to Jordy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, in their bio, in the links, and check out all of their stuff. Check out all of my stuff. Yeah. Thank you yes. so much for talking to Thank me. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. It really moved, lifted some pressure around my headspace. Oh, I'm so glad. That makes yeah. me so happy. I'm so glad that I've been able to get this takeover and um, speak to people that inspire me, but also that I just, I love so much. So, love you. <laughs> love you. All right. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Have a great day. More money. I want your money. I want more money. 